forever. Dog. Hey folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, we've got a great bunch of interviews coming up in the next coming months. I think you're really going to enjoy them. Um, smart people, cool shows, cool people, smart shows. This hasn't happened in a long time, but I had this experience recently where I was falling asleep or trying to, and I had sort of been ideating during the day. Uh, I'm working on this new thing, and I'm just trying to put together thoughts about it. I had no idea what this thing was, and so I just sort of put together what I thought was a beginning of ideas to this thing. And then that night, as I'm falling asleep, I was hit by where this is going. And it's rare that I get into a project without knowing where it's going. I usually know I have some some shape of the thing in mind. That has not been the case of this. It's not been the case of a few things recently. Um, and it hit me where this could go, the logical place where this story could lead based on the characters and what they want and how they behave and how they interact with each other. And... I couldn't get to sleep. I was so excited. Uh, I got out of bed and I, I immediately ran to my office and I wrote this stuff down and, and um, I went back to bed and then more ideas came and I got up again. And at that point, I thought I will spare my wife and go and sleep in the guest room uh, in my office. And because uh, I seemed to not be able to stop this train of ideas and it was so exciting and it was so invigorating. And I immediately call, uh, texted, this was at midnight, and I texted my collaborator on this project. Um, and I told her, like, I just had a breakthrough on this. I'm so excited. I can't get to sleep. I will email you in the morning. Um, and that hasn't happened for a long time. And I think it's in part because until these past this past year even, I've known what the story is before going in. And um, I may have talked in the past about starting a new work and was told, uh, and I was really, you know, it was not coming together for me. And I didn't know what the story was. I knew vaguely the premise. Um, and my cousin, who is a has written children's, uh, young adult books, I hadn't talked to her in a while. We got on the phone and she said, listen, there are a lot of bad writers out there. You can write poorly. Just do it. Just put pen to paper. Just sit at the keyboard. Just start getting stuff down. Um, and that's what I did. And I started finding my way through that. And the characters started telling me where they wanted the story to go. Um, and it's, again, it's a, it's a new way of working for me, or at least a way I haven't worked in probably 15 years. Um and it's fun and it's exciting and it feels uncertain. But everything's uncertain right now. And there's a kind of freedom in that uncertainty. Um, you know, these first drafts are not good. My cousin was right. I can write poorly. I'm proving it every day. Um, but I am writing. I am getting the stuff down. And it gets better. And it gets revised and it gets better and I get notes and it gets better. Um, and that's keeping me going. You know, even as the industry is 
more uncertain than it's been ever. Um, even as it's harder and harder to get projects off the ground, the writing feels better than it ever has. And I think I'm a better writer now than I ever have been, in part because of embracing this uncertainty. Anyway, it's working for me. Maybe it'll work for you. Let me know how it's going. Tell me about your writing these days. Find me on Twitter at Ben Blacker. And let's just talk about it. Let's talk about the process. Let's talk about writing. This is why I do the podcast. These are the conversations I still love to have. Um, They are endlessly interesting to me. And there are a lot of great ones coming up. I hope you enjoy them as much as I have. I hope you find inspiration in them as much as I have. Uh, If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review on iTunes. It is very helpful to me. Here's another thing. Um, I've... I'm doing some teaching and I'm doing some consulting and I really like the consulting. Uh, I think I'm good at notes. I think people who have worked with me will tell you that I'm have a good story sense and I'm good at communicating that to you and helping you bring out the thing that you want to bring out in your work. I want to help you write the best script that you can write, whether it's for a fellowship, whether it's for a sample, whatever it is, whether it's just for you. Um, so I'm doing some consulting, I'm doing some classes, but the consulting is really where I think you get the good stuff. Um, you can hire me as a consultant and I hope you will, uh, go to scriptanatomy.com and then there's a, a little menu at the top and just hit TV consultations and choose me as your con- consultant. Um, I would love it. I really want to help people write the stuff they want to write. It's fun for me. Um, It's satisfying to me. I want to get your ideas out of your head and onto the page. So that's, uh, this is not an ad. This is really just something I'm doing and I love doing it. And I also need to get paid. Uh, Script Anatomy, scriptanatomy.com. And then click on the TV consultations and uh, see what works for you. You know, there's stuff where you can just do an outline. There's stuff where you can throw ideas around. Um, there's stuff where, you know, I've, I've worked with a few students or a few students, a few people who have been terrific. And we've gone from outline to draft to polish. There are a few where we just talk about their outlines. Um, but like do the big ones. Go from, you know, do the script reads or the outline. Do something that's really going to move you forward on your script. Um, once again, scriptanatomy.com. Uh, and click on consultations and uh, the TV consultations. I hope we can do that. I hope we can meet. That'd be cool. Thanks for listening. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Thrilled to talk to you all. Um, what I'm going to do is I have some returning champions. I have some new friends here. Uh, what I'm going to do is go around and ask you to introduce yourselves on the microphone. Tell us some places where we might've seen your name, um, on our bookshelves, uh, on our TV screen, anywhere that is pertinent. Um, and let's start with my writing partner, Ben Acker, who is here today because he has a new book coming out for young readers. Um, Ben, tell us about the book and tell people how to get it. The book is called Stories to Keep You Alive Despite Vampires. It is a book of collect- a collection of ghost stories and campfire tales 
Uh, it comes out August 30th, and it is available to pre-order at www, we still say that, dot bit, dot lee, slash despite vampires. You know me from such writing partnerships as this one, and um, such credits as yours, <laughs> The Thrilling Adventure Hour, Supernatural, <laughs> Super Ninjas, do you still say that? And uh, what else do we do? Comic books, uh, Star Wars books, uh, all sorts of things. The Thrilling Adventure Hour. Um Great. Thank you. And folks should, like I said, uh, pause this podcast right now. Go pre-order Stories to Keep You Alive Despite Vampires um, from that link and from Amazon or just follow Ben on Twitter. Um, All right. That's the business business out of the way. Uh, Please introduce yourselves, the rest of you. Um, Sarvanaz, let's start with you, please. Um, Hi, I'm Sarvanaz Tosh. I am the author of seven books um, for YAs and a middle grade and couple of adult rom-coms because they can't seem to stick to a genre or a brand. It's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, some of my books include The Geek's Guide to Unrequited Love, um, Three Day Summer, Virtually Yours. I was actually in an anthology with Preeti recently called Battle of the Bands. So, um, yeah. And I will recommend right now um, Geek Guide to Unrequited Love. That was how we met, is I was raving about it on Twitter, and I loved it so much. Uh, it is an absolute charmer of a book, and folks should check it out. Um, and I, I, you have a new book coming out next year, right? I do. It's called A Whole Song and Dance, and it's um, kind of my geeky musical theater book. So that was really fun to write. All my books are about different nerdy things I'm into. <laughs> um, Preeti, tell us uh, about yourself and this book that you have out it is tomorrow for us, but it'll be a, two weeks ago when people are hearing this. <laughs> yes. Hi, uh, my name is Preeti Chiver. I was in an anthology with Sarvanas called Battle of the Bands. And I have a book that is out for the everyone listening, um, but for me comes out tomorrow called Spider-Man's Social Dilemma. And it's the first book in an all new original Peter Parker trilogy that's sort of like upper middle grade, younger YA, and it's prose. So not illustrated. It's just words talking about Spider-Man. Uh, and it is really fun, and it is also like super charming, very funny. Uh, you clearly, you clearly love Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> Just a, like a little bit of a big Spider Man fan. <laughs> we'll talk about how you got into it and all that uh, in a moment. Uh, Lily Sparks, uh, we also met on Twitter after I read uh, your Teen Killers book. Um, tell us about that. Tell us who you are. What's going on? Uh, yes, please. Um, Lily Sparks. And my first book was Teen Killers Club. The sequel, which is coming out August 9th, uh, is Teen Killers in Love. And there is a third book that will be coming out fall 23. So look forward okay. to that. You might also know me from Heather's, uh, the the Doomed Paramount series, <laughs> as well as I did an episode on Rain. And I used to do a lot of TV recaps that people remember fondly. So that's me. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah, something we will get into is like, I think all of us have written in a bunch of different media before, like doing this stuff that I think we are probably more known for. Um, and Halima, you're doing still doing that right now. Tell us what you are up to these days. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Halima Lucas. I am a filmmaker and TV writer. So um, I've had a uh, film, specifically shorts and different festivals um, and have uh, been on HBO um, and then also writing in television. Currently, I'm on a show called Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, which will be out next year. <gasps> <laughs> That's so exciting. Yeah, you, you've done some other um, 
kid stuff too. Is that right? Yeah, I've done a lot of uh, tons of development. I've written for the uh, new Rugrats reboot um, and yeah, film and things like that. So a, a bunch of different media. <laughs> Certainly. Great. Let's we'll get into all of it. And in fact, that seems like a good place to start. And I think like Ben, you and I have talked about this in public and to each other where like where we come from is sort of like writing is writing, you know, and and do you want to expound on that a little bit and talk about like a little bit about your background as a writer and your relationship to um, writing for young people specifically? Our background uh, is writing, uh, you know, f mostly for us and um, and our audience turned out to be like us. And it wasn't, I don't think we aimed at age groups or anything like that. And we had people of all ages uh, coming to the, specifically the Thrilling Adventure Hour. We had, you know, families come, family listeners, and it wasn't, it was surprising. It was unintentional. It was not. Uh, utterly surprising, like that stuff came from those things that people uh, watched with their families, like it, or listened to, like it was old radio, right? So it had superhero elements and that, uh, but we never like made sure to be specific to be safe to listen to or whatever. It all just fell within our tastes, right? Yeah, I think we were never setting out to write for uh, all ages or young audiences, but. It happened that our tastes were that. Was that your experience with stories to keep you alive also? It definitely was. I thought that um, that having an editor who had a lot of experience in the kids' book space, uh, I would get a lot of, of guidance in, in terms of like, well, think this, not that. And there wasn't much. It was, it was um, oh, this is good. You're writing to the top of the intelligence of the audience. You're... Um, writing for smart 10 year olds. You're right. You're basically a smart 10 year old writing. Uh, <laughs> and, but uh, yeah, there were, there were a very few things that were like uh, the dummiest of things like, Hey, maybe consider putting more kids in these stories for kids was, was a, a great one. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a good tip. Yeah. Hot tip. Um, but yeah, no, I was surprised how, how, how much there wasn't that kind of guidance and how everybody, who's been reading the book along the way seems to um, regard it as like treating the audience respectfully where it's just, it's the same thing. It's writing for the audience that you are or were or will be. Sure. Um, Sarvanaz, you, you are nodding uh, during this and I'm curious to hear what led you to YA writing. Um, the reason I was nodding is because I always feel like I don't, I think I write for my characters, so I don't even really think too much about my audience. Like, I'm not like, oh, this is like a teen reader or a middle grade reader. It's like, well, my character is 11 or they're 17 or they're 19 and like, this is what they're going through. Um, and I, I think that that's where a lot of genuine writing comes from anyways, writing from your character. So before I wanted to be a screenwriter, I um, had always wanted to be an author, like a children's book author. I grew up reading Raul Dell and Beverly Cleary and Babysitter's Club. And um, those were kind of like the, the things I just like gravitate towards. And I was just like a big reader. Um, so I had this little brief interview where I was like, I'm going to be a screenwriter. And then I was like, 
no, too many gatekeepers. I kind of just want to sit in New York and write. <laughs> I don't want to go to LA and I don't want to like pitch anything that's not my gift. Um, and uh, and then I kind of ended up going back to the Raul Dahl thing. And so that my first book was a middle grade, which was kind of what I just remembered really loving as like the first kind of medium. I just like really felt like seen and felt like I had friends and you know I was a really shy kid and that felt like a really safe place to just like explore and be silly and that kind of humor really spoke to me um so that's where the middle grade came from and then the reason I ended up going to YA is because the second book I wrote took place at Woodstock and I don't think I could write 10 year olds at Woodstock <laughs> so I was like well now they're 18 <laughs> so that's why I was like my characters kind of um inform the genre more than me thinking I'm going to write, you know, for a teen audience or for a, you know, middle grade audience or adults. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense too. And and that's something I sort of want to pick up with everyone about sort of finding that story and finding those characters and how that process works. But before we get to that, um, I'd still want to hear sort of the uh, YA journey for all of you. Um, Halima, what led you to these animated shows that you've been working on? Is this the sort of short stuff you had been writing and directing before? Did it make sense as a progression? Or, you know, was it like Ben and I, like we we wrote a uh, spec script about kidney thieves and every like young uh, uh, executive for like Nickelodeon and Disney was like, oh, you have to work on our shows. What would make... How did you what get would the, make you think that? <laughs> who sent you this? So what was the subject matter that you were dealing in before and how did that get you here? I came in, you know, with filmmaking and I had um, moved to L.A. to go to grad school at USC. And I didn't think I had a very, you know, wrote for a particular audience. I just knew I loved coming of age stories and to me, people are coming to age at, at every stage of life. So it wasn't specific. And, but at some point in film school, I became known as the kid director. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't get why people are calling me that. And I look at my directing reel and it really should have just been called little black children because it was just all these stories of kids. But in, of course, like, you know, adult or I guess very mature situations um, like a Stranger Things, like Eve's Bayou, like these kinds of stories. And I think it ended up being, you know, I still write for a bunch of different audiences, but I think what really influenced it was I'm second oldest of nine siblings. I have a lot of littles in my life. I spent the first half of my life developing middle child syndrome and the later half being an unpaid babysitter and, and still do. Uh, still am. And so I think that's kind of how I my entryway into, you know, telling stories that either were centered around uh, a young person or where the young person played a very significant role because that's how my life was. And so, um, so yeah, I was making films that, you know, it included uh, someone who's either a teen or um, a kid multi-generational stories. And then um, I guess with it just, to me, animation is just 
it's the same, like we said earlier, writing is writing. So it just feels like another uh, medium. But even what I do in animation, I'm still telling coming of age stories, people, family stories that are dealing with real, real stuff and heightened and really fun situations. But that I think has always been the through line of, of everything that I've done, um, whether it's kid centered or kid influenced or, or youth influenced rather, I should say. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and again, we'll we'll get into some of that in a bit. Um, Lily, tell me about your your journey too. Having read both of your YA books, and then looking at like the TV stuff you worked on, like there's not, it doesn't feel like a huge jump. Like it does make a kind of sense, right? But what kind of writing were you doing even before that stuff? Well, I actually come out of comedy. Like I did a lot of like sketch comedy and animated comedy. Like I had a lot of pilots that like got made and not picked up that were animated comedy. And I worked in a writing trio. So it was constantly like this really fun collaboration and very like light and, and you know, one step removed because comedy is like, not to say cynical, but it's removed. And um, started getting more into, you know, for the stuff that I was doing just on my own, apart from the rest, were these like incredibly earnest YA books <laughs> that were just very dramatic and, and earnest. And I, th- I feel like I've had to think about it a lot because, you know, it is a question I ask myself, why do I gravitate towards YA? And I really think it has to do with when like stories like had the biggest impact on me. Like I feel like as a young adult reader, um, I really needed an escape. Like it was, I was so grateful for a good book to like lose myself in. Um, And not to say that entertainment has like completely lost that weight, but it didn't feel as like a, as much of a coping survival <laughs> mechanism. So I feel like there's something in me that's writing for that person I was and trying to throw like life preservers behind me <laughs> for those to catch those readers. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's like writing back to myself then and, and giving myself like reassurance. Yeah, it it totally makes sense. And I feel like it's something we've all sort of touched on, right? Is like we're writing this stuff for us then and like the us is now uh, who are looking for it. It totally makes sense. And and uh, pretty like I reading the Spider-Man book, I absolutely felt like this was for you at like 12, 13 years old. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. <laughs> I mean, that was what so was so fun about this is when they approached me and were like, would you want to write an original Spider-Man book? I sort of first I was like, what? Me? Okay. Yes. Yes, I would like to. And then second was like, what would I do and what would I want to read when I was a kid? And I was like obsessed with, you know, spectacular Spider-Man and these cartoons and the movies. Um, And I I really liked what you said, Lily, in that sense of like the earnestness because they – kids' books are great because there are just so many feelings in them. And I think that we try to remove ourselves from those feelings sometimes to survive. I mean, it makes sense. Like we got to get through the day. But it's nice to fall back into that like something I really enjoyed, strangely enough, was like the awkwardness that I got to put on the page for these kids. Like they're just going through it. They're trying to like they are coming of age and like Peter's like, I'm coming of age, but also I'm a superhero and I have to like and I have to deal with homework and I have to do these things. And it's so fun to get back into that mindset when like those are the sort of issues you're dealing with. Yeah. How did um, how did Marvel Publishing find you? Um, so I am very loud about the things I like. 
I am <laughs> a walking exclamation point. I just like to talk about stuff that I enjoy. And I happened to mention to somebody that I guested on a podcast with like five years ago how much I like Spider-Man and that I'd love to write Spider-Man one day. And he was in a position to give my name to somebody. And so I had a luckily I'd been freelance writing. So I had some like clips to show them. And they asked me if I would write the tie in to Spider-Man Far From Home. And I did that and they were very happy with it. And then they came to me with like an original. That's so cool. Did it feel, and, and I'll say like Ben and I wrote some Star Wars middle grade books uh, a few years ago. And like there was that excitement of getting to play with these toys. But then when you start digging in, you're like, oh, I still got to write this book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. There's still work. <laughs> the worst part of <laughs> the worst part of writing, <laughs> writing. <laughs> which, which you've been very vocal about on Twitter, which I appreciate. <laughs> it's my coping mechanism. <laughs> I want to hear about everyone's process. Um, and and like, Ben, you are on record on this podcast as loving the writing process. Um, was it the same for uh, your prose work that it has been for the TV stuff that we've done? This prose work, uh, yes. The Like the Star Wars books, those were hard. Because <laughs> they were novels. These are short stories. and uh, But um, yeah, there's something... That felt like when I when I wrote Sketch, uh, there was that vibe to these. Like you're not necessarily going to tell the whole story. You gotta like set it up and uh, heighten and find the the punchline and get out. You know whether it's you know a horror punchline or, or a subversion of it. Um, but yeah, no, it it was. I don't and I don't know where it. I don't know why. I don't know what we wrote that felt sketchy because we were writing longer form things, but. I don't know. I have I have the sketch muscle from Second City training and 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 when I I wrote for Wits, I guess. But like, yeah, it was it was it it wasn't it was it, it was there's a poetry there's there's the simplicity in the the of the short form that it wasn't uh, a monster a monstrous task like writing those novels. Uh, so yeah, does that? But yeah, that, that makes to, sense. Um, yeah, and I'd like to hear from uh, the novel writers here. Like, how do you wrestle those things to the ground? Uh, what do your writing days look like? Uh, anyone who wants to jump in, and then hopefully we can just sort of build off of um, I'm a reluctant outliner in that I have to outline in order to actually, like, write the thing, but I hate outlining, so... It's like me and Scrivener and it's usually like my husband knows when I'm outlining because it's like kind of me banging my head against like keyboard keys because I, but if I do the outline, then I'm much more likely to finish a project because then when I get stuck in the middle, which I invariably will, I like, there's something guiding me along, even if like most of the time, a lot of time, like a lot of stuff changes from my outline to even my first draft. Um, and I'm also an underwriter. This is, I think, comes from my screenwriting background. My first book was like 120 pages. And my editor was like, this isn't a book. <laughs> and I was like, yes, it is. It's 120 pages. No, it's not a book. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so I'm an underwriter. Um, so I always, always end up adding like 
10 to 15,000 words or more in my second, third drafts. Um, I'm always like very jealous of people who are like, I wrote 100,000 words. And I was like, <laughs> I have to write like backstory and what's my B plot? Who knows? <laughs> um, but I love so wait, editing. I'm curious to hear. Let me, let me, yeah, wait, let me inter interrupt for a sec because I want to dig in on a couple of these things. Um, at what point do you know that you're underwriting? Like, does it go to your editor first or do you, tack that, do you tackle the, like, filling it in before it goes to your editor? Uh, depends on what I'm working on. If it's a, no, I, I never, that first draft doesn't see the light of day. <laughs> Nobody sees that sure. first draft of me because, like, there are parts of it which are literally, like, Savanas, write something here that's funny. Like, <laughs> and then future Savanas is like, great job. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do love editing because I love puzzles. And the, the funny thing about underwriting or even like my first drafts is sometimes I like put these breadcrumbs for myself that I did not know I was putting. Like I yeah. like a character does something and I'm like, whatever. And then like later becomes like the whole crux of like, the theme of the book or something. I feel like sometimes your subconscious is like doing these things for you. Um, so that I love, but first drafts and yeah. outlines, I really hate them, but I, I have to do them. I can't pants it. Like I will never finish a book. <laughs> um, and then what does a typical writing day look like for you? So I have kids. So once that happened, uh, I went from being a night writer to only a morning writer because my brain like shuts down after 8 p.m. Um, so like as soon as they're off to school or camp, I'm like at the computer and I usually can get like an hour or two in of writing. Um, but I usually I'm like I work scenes. So I feel like I'm either outlining a scene or writing the scene or um, or if I'm editing, then sometimes I can do a couple of scenes. But um, and there are days when I write like a page and there are days when like it's flowing and I write, but I can't do word count because word count really stresses me out. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to kind of think in like scenes. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And then the thing I will ask this of all of you, uh, the thing that I'm always curious about is do you listen to music when you write? No, I need like complete silence. <laughs> okay. That's interesting to me. Halima, you were, you were nodding during this <laughs> and I want to hear about, what in what in Sarvanas's process speaks to you? <laughs> uh, there were a number of things. Certainly the um, certainly the importance of outlining. I think I'm much more like it's the first step I do now. It's like mm -hmm. if I can't outline it, it means I haven't done enough to even get to the next thing. Um, and it is this really fun discovery when you've kind of you know vomited out whatever's in your brain that draft and then you go back and revise because and especially being a story editor now it's like you go back and revise and you're like oh I can take this and pay it off here oh I can do this and do that was I really that brilliant yes and then just keep like <laughs> keep going and and it's a really fun it is a really fun discovery and finding like oh wow there's a lot of subtextual stuff um happening that like comes in and I, I think in the very beginning when I first started writing, I thought the best draft is the rawest draft because it's like it's off the, off the dome and whatever. But it's like you realize that, at least for me, it's like it, the first draft could be cool. It's got some great nuggets, but it can always get better. And so that revision, that story Tetris, like that's what I call it, is like 
moving things around and playing with it is um, can I think some it can be arduous sometimes like daunting but I feel like the hardest part is getting it on the page and then once it's there then I can really make some magic happen like that's where mm-hmm. the fun happens um, and I'm someone who write I do write to music I feel like it's whenever I specifically like for original projects what I'll do is actually put together like a soundtrack. Like, oh, if I'm writing a feature or I'm writing a, a, a short or a pilot, it's like, well, what's the arc of this? What's the tone? And I'll listen to music in the background that mirrors mm-hmm. that. So if it's like some, you know, angsty, you know, situation, uh, I'm playing Kid Cudi and I'm writing to Kid Cudi or I'm writing to Lana Del Rey if it's <laughs> like whatever the, you know, whatever the situation is. So I, I find that it helps kind of like method me into whatever I'm doing. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, and I wanted to ask before we're too far away from it on in working on something like um, Moon Girl, you know, which is not a show you created. Uh, you know, you're you're a writer on staff there. Do you feel like you you can still see yourself in the show? Do you feel like your voice is represented in the show and like you understand these characters in the way that ideally we want to when we go onto a show, even if it is a show about kids? Yeah, I think um one, I mean the the cool thing about Moon Girl is I've you know, it, it's a show that being there from uh, like in the, the the infancy of the writer's room, right? So in any first season, like there's stuff that's there, but there's also a lot of discovery that happens. And so being able to be um, a, a part of discovering stuff with the character and putting stuff, um, you know, of my experience and voice into the character is really great. And um yeah, there's a there are a lot of even though the lead is a different age than me. One, I, I again have siblings and littles that are that age. I was that age at that um, you know at that point, and even just the surrounding characters. In some ways, it's a multi generational story. You know, aspects to it. So I do very much feel like. Parts of me are in it, and I also I don't write anything that I don't find funny. If I'm not laughing, it's I don't expect anyone else to laugh. So, but (laughs) definitely parts of my sense of humor, the way I see the world, and what I aspire to see um, in the world is is certainly in that show. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad to hear it. Um, We're excited for it to come out. Um, I want to get back to talking about uh, process. Lily, you live out in the mountains. Uh, you live in the wild. Uh, is this to get away from all the noise so you can do your work or what? <laughs> <laughs> well, it actually, um, it was to get help with uh, my daughter during the pandemic. Um, we came up uh, to Big Bear because my family lives close to here. And it was just very helpful to have extra hands on deck while I was remote sure. working. And um we didn't have to worry about her having an exposure in like 2020 via like a play group or something. So uh, we came up here and got like something crazy, like four feet of snow our first winter. <laughs> like it was a real trial by snow fire. Um, 
And you know how that went for The Shining. It turned out great. <laughs> exactly. You know, like he wrote a whole novel. <laughs> yeah, he got a lot of work done. It was a hundred thousand red rooms. Um. <laughs> um, so, how has writing been up there? And like, how, has your process changed mm. since moving? It's uh, it's actually pretty similar. I, I will say mm-hmm. that like I have this little like writing shed now, whereas before I used to write like literally sitting on like a, a dryer. So <laughs> so there's a little I can curate my mental weather a little bit better. Um, I definitely listen to music, for example. But like uh, uh, mm-hmm. I like I love every step of it. I love the whole soup to nuts writing process. Like I structure like a witch where like I just love the whole alchemy of trying to find like the perfect structure and you have this art going this way and this, and here's your midpoint. And like, just really like I'll make the perfect structure, like a platonic ideal of the structure for the story. <laughs> and then I'll kind of just start writing and see what the characters do. Like I give the characters full permission to take the wheel and change whatever mm-hmm. I've structured out and um, just go off into like a, uh, who's that ancient Greek Oracle who like sits over the crack and just smells the smells and, and yell stuff. The Oracle of Delphi. That's sure. That's my vibe <laughs> for the pros. Full Delphi. So this is, I, uh, I love that. And this is something that like, it's come up on past episodes. And I wonder if maybe this is the group who can explain it fully to people who are either chasing that feeling or, haven't experienced that, but like this idea of yes, going in with a plan, but allowing for your characters to take you where they want to go. Um, and and I'll open up and, and Preeti, we'll get to your uh, process in a second, but I want to open up that to anyone who wants to talk about it, this idea of listening to your characters and letting them drive the story and what that feels like. It feels great when it works. It's like the best feeling. <laughs> um, I think Geek, Geek Sky was actually, I think, the only book that kind of the character came like fully formed to me. And he just was in my ear talking to me like the whole way through. And it was like a, just like a beautiful experience. I really never had it before or since. Um, <laughs> but um, I feel like that moment when you get really plugged into your character and you know exactly what they're going to do because you know them so well is just like, that's what I love most about writing. And it does, it's not that often. I find that it happens. Like I feel a lot of it is grunt work and sitting in front of the screen and like trying to get to that point. Um, but I, I, I love that. Like, I love when you just like know exactly what they would say and you know what they would do. And they're not, they are a part of you, but they're not you. They're like from somewhere else, you know, coming at you. Is there, and, and I don't know, like if anyone has this answer we could bottle it but like is there a way to get yourself into that zone have any of you been successful in getting yourself to that place where you are just channeling the character or taking dictation the book i'm writing now is in third person mm-hmm. i haven't been third person in a really long time and it was taking me a long time to figure out why it was getting so hard to channel the character and i realized it's in third mm-hmm. person so i just like i just wrote like four pages in first person like stream of consciousness and that helped a little bit just to get into her head that's a great idea absolutely you know i think i found a a little bit of that of what you're talking about where like you let the characters take control when you're when you know you're collaborating with another voice like when um when you're writing comics especially um and you know 
what you're trying to do an impression of the voice of the artist. Right. So like you're thinking like outside of yourself necessarily, because it's what would the character do? What would, how would the artist execute it is as close as I found, I think to like um, regularly get to that place where the character's surprising me. Cause it's like, I, we're friends, but it's not, it's not one-to-one, you know? It makes sense. I mean, it, it's so much of it is getting out of your own head, right? And your own personal voice to become the character's voice. Um, Halima, were you going to add something to the to that? Yeah, I think, um, I feel like there's two things I feel like I can sometimes sense, and this is for characters of my own, like, original creation. I feel like sometimes you can sense when it's the character's voice or the writer making something happen that they really want. Um, sometimes one of the questions I ask myself is like, does my care, what does my character want and what is their arc? And if they don't change, if they don't arc, then it me it probably means that I'm too close to it because it's not me who needs to change. Everybody else needs to change. <laughs> that sometimes is a thing. So just step back and be like, okay, what is, you know, what is that lesson? What does that feel? And I think that's a part of separating, like, oh, I need to separate myself and my own judgments and my own, like not judging the character and not looking at them through the same lens that I necessarily may look at myself even though that can help me tap into an emotion something that I've gone through but like knowing how to split and separate and but I think for other character voices that are that I may have reference outside of myself for I think listening and studying those voices or even something that it's close to um helps kind of get into like a sponge like helps you soak in like what is that voice and what is that personality and, and music helps with that too um but yeah being able to like soak that in and then it's almost I don't know if you've like I do this if I if I watch like a Harry Potter movie the first word that's coming out of my mouth is like in an accent for whatever reason like it's just because I've my brain has just <laughs> taken it on and I think I use that to your empathy it's just, switches it's, all the way off. Yes, my therapist would agree. And uh, I feel like, but I think I use that empathy tool, I guess that that tool of like, okay, if I can soak in that, how do I soak yeah. something in and then use that to kind of, you know, channel in a different uh, a voice that may not be naturally my own, so to speak. I want to get back to process and tie up that uh, loose end pretty. Tell us about, I think you are like Ben and me, someone who takes on a lot of projects. Uh, Like it seems like you always have deadlines, always something that you're supposed to be working on, but you're also tackling these, you know, pretty lengthy novels. So what is, how do you organize all of that? What does your writing life uh, and schedule look like? It's something, I mean, it's it's that freelance life, right? Where you panic a little bit. So you say yes to everything. And then all of a sudden you have a hundred deadlines, but they're all fun projects. And, and that's that's really nice. I think organizationally, I it's a lot of, it took a long time, but it's so boring, but it's like post-it notes on a wall. 
where I literally will like write down all the projects, the steps that I have, like the due dates so I can visualize how I need to be working. And I do like a word count because it makes me feel like I'm accomplishing something. So that little green bar in Scrivener, I will like work backwards from my due date. And when it turns green, I'm like, this is the best day of my life. I've done it. So it's like every it's it's these like breaking it up into tiny manageable pieces is sort of how I have to approach it when I have multiple things going on, um, which is really fun. And and the I did want to note about the character voice thing. Something I found that like really worked and helped was character sheets, like literally just practically sitting down and figuring out at the beginning, like motivations arcs for character by character, which is part of that grunt work and like kind of sucks when you have to do it for like a lot of different voices. But I was laughing so hard, Savanaz, when you were talking because I was like, I also hate outlining. I also like am furious at how well it works and how much it helps. (laughs) And am also an underwriter. So like all these things at the beginning, though, can help later on. I Yeah, I'm sure we got similar notes back when we sent our stories in, which was like, could you fill in this? How about a little bit more here? (laughs) How about setting? No, no, no. In, in what determinate plane, just straight dialogue. Who needs a setting? Yeah. Like it's Come banter. On. I don't know what you want from me. What cracks me up about that is, uh, Ben, we had the opposite experience when we sent in our outline for our Star Wars book. Do you remember that? No. What happened? And where was I? Uh, we we broke the we broke the story. Oh, no. We spent like yeah, a couple yeah, yeah. weeks breaking the story and then we sent it to the editors and they said, well, this is three books, not one yeah. book. <laughs> yeah. So you can right. stop we kept, it right here. <laughs> we, kept, we kept writing a book and a half. <laughs> yeah. But we were used to writing just uh, what, what you're talking about, uh, yeah. radio style. So we were just <laughs> writing the banter. Yeah. Just the fun parts. So getting to write a setting, that yeah. was fun. <laughs> I did. I got the. I did get the note. I hadn't written prose in a long time, and and um, Ben was kind enough to introduce me to his literary agent, who said, "Go write something." And the note she gave me back was, um, "Where does this take place? I can't picture anything." It's. I love these characters, but like, I can't picture what's happening. <laughs> All right, that's fair. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Cares. <laughs> it, it matters. Uh... In preparing to work on my own uh, YA prose, I started reading a lot of YA books, which is how I I happened on some of your books. Um, And I read probably about 20 of them. And then I said, all right, I need a break. Uh, I'm going to read some adult fiction that I've been putting off. And I picked up a well-regarded literary novel. And I thought, where are all the feelings? Where is the raw emotion? (laughs) Uh, and so I immediately went back to YA books, which is where I am now. But I want to talk about that and sort of like, this is really getting into like how the sausage is made on writing for young people. But as adults, we have the language of emotions that I think a lot of young people don't. We also have the perspective on emotions that a lot a lot of young people don't. And I want to talk about, you know, coming back to some of this character talk, like how do we inhabit these characters and put that stuff away. And I think, Preeti, you mentioned character sheets, which is a great idea. Um, and it gives direction to these characters in your story. But I wanted to talk, you know, hear from everyone about, like, putting yourself in that mindset of these characters who haven't experienced 
the world that you have experienced. They are 15, uh, 10, 15 years behind you. Um, Lily, for example, like how do you approach, you're putting your characters in extreme circumstances. Your characters are mostly murderers, uh, but they are also 15, 16 years old. So can you talk to me about like finding that balance between the emotional immaturity and the mature world that they find themselves in? Oh, I might just be a very emotionally <laughs> immature person myself. And that helps a lot. Like I, I really connected with Ben's uh, statement about like, oh, you're writing to the height of the audience's intelligence and you're being a really smart 10 year old. Like that might just be me folks. I might've talked out emotional, <laughs> emotional intelligence wise at 16, but um, granularly what really helps is that I have all of these diaries from my, like all in high school, I got really OCD about like g- coming like straight home from school and writing out what had happened to me that day. And it's like, it's a cringe fest. Like I almost, threw them all into a fire like my second year of college because I was like these are so painful <laughs> I cannot bear to read these what in God's name possessed me to do this to myself um but now they're <laughs> invaluable because I can go back and like just the perspective is so whack in, in so many ways and like it'll be like something like seriously like fucked up will have happened at school like I think we had like literally like a there was like a a bomb threat called into the school and like there's two lines about that and then like 15 <laughs> lines about like Josh, what's his face? Keeps looking at me and math, and not and not in a fun way. And like, it's just it's it helps yeah. get me back in the mindset of like what had gravity then, and it, it wasn't the things that have gravity now. Um, so yeah, that's my secret weapon is my weird pile of horror. <laughs> and I'll batteries. tell you, like, it's so funny to hear that because in reading Teen Killers, like that's the stuff that feels so real that feels so honest is like this relationship (laughs) stuff right how do i behave with this one boy likes me and i like this other boy like oh also everyone's (laughs) getting murdered but (laughs) that's the stuff that yeah there's there's a scene there's a scene where they're cleaning up the body and this guy is kind of (laughs) like do you like me yes or no and like i was like (laughs) laughing out loud the whole time i was typing that scene but it, that's like ripped from the pages of the diaries where it's just like this total tunnel vision yeah. on your like narcissistic emotional validation and like the corpse bleeding into the floor behind you right. is like, figure it out. That's so funny. Um, and Sarman so a similar sort of thing where like, I'm surprised, I guess I'm not surprised to hear that your character in Geek's Guide is the one who sort of spoke to you, who, you know, made himself and his story known to you. Um, how do you as a mature adult get out of the way and let him tell that story as emotionally, you know, naive and honest and raw as it is. And and it is all those things in addition to being really funny and charming. No, oh, thank you. Um, I think similar to what everyone said, I feel like, like all white authors are at least somewhat traumatized by their teenage years and like keep reliving them <laughs> themselves. Um, like I know I do, but I think the beauty of writing YA is you get to write it. Like you, things you never had the power to do when you were a teenager is like write what that boy would say to you or what you would say back or like write the perfect comeback or, you know, and I feel like that that is like, that's the thing I love the most is just kind of having this control, yeah. which I, I think actually comes up in Geek's Guy too, where he talks about how like fiction is kind of there when real life fails you and how it just kind of is like a safe place to go when you don't 
have no control, which I think is just mm-hmm. kids in general. I mean, that's that's the hardest part of growing up. You have so little control of anything. It's your parents, your teachers, other kids. Um, I feel like retreating into books and movies was like my coping mechanism. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I just, I really... I think like, yeah, I am also emotionally stunted. I, I, I can relive, I can relive that pain over and over again <laughs> in multiple ways. <laughs> and there's, there's something too. Uh, I mean, I think you're absolutely right to like recapturing that feeling, right. Of things we may have forgotten of like not having control of your life, things that we probably still feel in many ways, but not in the same way or not to the extent that we did uh, as kids. Um, someone had mentioned early on in our conversation, this idea of, um, and Tarmanaz, I think this was you talking about the sort of rom-com uh, stuff that you were writing, that this is this being your brand. Um, and I wonder how much that is a conversation that you have to have with your editors, with your agents, or even with yourself about like, is the thing I'm tackling next in line with what I wanna do, what I'm known for doing, what people want from me or expect from me, um, pretty, is, is that something you've had to think about? Um, for, for me, it's, it's strange. Cause I do, I'm, I'm similar to Sarvanas, I think where I'm a little bit all over the map where I do a lot of like IP and like comic booky stuff and that, but I also do, you know, I had a short in an Arthurian legends retelling last summer, or like mm-hmm. I do a lot of like, uh, YA retellings and, um, short stories and I have a YA novel on the books that is eventually coming out. Great. But what's fun, I think, I know there are authors who have those conversations with their agents, and that's a very, I think, agent-oriented conversation mm-hmm. when you're trying to figure out who you want to represent you, what kind of career you want to have, what you want your sort of list to look like. It depends on, I guess, what you're interested in, and my interests are very varied, and I think what I boil down to are the characters and there is that sort of like, I love that awkward character. And that's sort of the through line of my work are these kids (laughs) who are just so like uncomfortable and trying to navigate life and getting to live in those like excruciating moments because they are so visceral when you're a teenager. And it was such necessary storytelling when I was a kid. And so that's sort of what you'll find is my brand, I guess, but by accident. (laughs) It totally makes sense, though. And and it's all like, they all go together. I mean, you, it, it's really fungible, right? You can have that feeling, you can have those characters in any sort of different mm-hmm. kinds of stories, and even different kinds of media. Um, Halima, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I very similar in that way. Like, I, I think my friends sometimes laugh um, in the way that I joke, I can uh, joke very crudely at times and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe you write for kids. Like, and that's, that's a part of it, but it's, that's all a part of the voice. Like, yeah, I'll write a, you know, a, a episode about this young superhero. And then uh, next thing I know, I'm writing a pilot about a girl who's best friends with a spider that lives in her vagina. And like, that's, that's just the span that is the span of my voice, but it does, you know, to, to, to Brady's voice, like it, to your point, like there is this through line of someone who's dealing with this awkward chapter of their life and trying to figure out and come to grips with really like 
the way we thought the world was going to be and the way it actually is turning out and the dissonance and the hilarity and awkwardness that comes with it. And so like, I, I, I'm very communicative about like, yeah, I do this, but I also do this. So I'm going to make a short film that, you know, revolves around a uh, plan B gone wrong. And I'm going to do a script that has to do with, you know, someone um, being left to be the caretaker of, uh, you know, their younger sisters, like all of that, but it's all under the same thematic um, banner. And it's been okay. So it's been good so far. And I think it's important to stay true to that, regardless of what people say, because the, 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 the feeling of hitting a ceiling is never good, I think, for, for anyone, you know, and I think being true to finding that those pathways for your voice is really important. So, yeah. Before we wrap up, I want to ask everyone, um, what are... Uh, what are the biggest challenges or what is the biggest challenge on about writing or about the thing that you're currently writing? Um, and I kind of just want to go around and ask about those challenges and ask how you are getting through them. Uh, so anyone who wants to jump in, who has something at top of mind, please do. I think right now that's what's very front of mind for me as someone who writes for young people and writes for young people in a way where I want to tackle some of the, the more ugly parts of life, perhaps, because that's important for kids to know how to navigate, is unfortunately the real world stuff that's happening right now with book banning and the conversations around books and how terrifying it is with the like mobilization against yeah. lit that kids, I think, honestly, genuinely need. And so it was like, I feel like the last few years have been a little bit of a struggle, whether it was like, oh, I'm writing contemporary. Am I going to talk about COVID? Like, I don't I don't know if I want to bring that into it. And now it's like, well, I want to write these books and I don't want to be afraid of writing these books because I know there will be people who benefit from reading them. But it's a real thing to consider. Like, what do you do when your book ends up on a list or like what kind of you know, um, tools do you have? And so kind of prepping yourself for that side of things, unfortunately, has become part of this process. Yeah. Um, have you, in talking to people about this or in thinking about this, have you come up with any answers? <laughs> I think it's community. I think it's just... I think you're right. Right? It's it's banding together. It's looking at what the organizations who are doing the work and, and you know, like we need diverse books and what you can do to help librarian organizations and people on the ground like that's sort of it I think is what I found at least that's great I love that um Lily what do you I, you don't have to tell us exactly what you're working on right now but I imagine you are working on something what are the challenges uh, involved yeah that was such a that was such a profound statement by Preeti and I, I feel like my no we take philosophical and we take practical uh, we, right. we like both like, okay. hold on hold on the other problem is sometimes I can't open my Scrivener doc and it's really hard perfect yeah there's what sandwich to eat like there's like, a lot I don't of problems know. Like, what music do you listen to? What sandwich do you write to? I'm in, I'm in a flow. Can I really stop to order food right now? <laughs> Postmates should know me better than this. <laughs> All these crumbs in my keyboard. Um, 
this is incredibly prosaic, but like I like when I used to read like stuff as a as a young adult person, something that always took me out of the book was like finding a swear word. Like I was just like a good kid where I would see a swear word in a book and like shut it and like put it away for a little bit and then like open it guiltily. And so I'm always trying to avoid swears, like not because anyone's given me that edict, but because I'm like, you know, writing to baby Lily who would have been like, oh, the F-bomb. <laughs> so I'm always trying to find these ways that are not too flowery and ridiculous to get around saying swears. So it's like he cursed under his breath, like an expletive tore from him. <laughs> like I have every four letter word I knew exploded from me at once. <laughs> and it's just like. Uh, I it gets a bit much. So, do you know any graceful ways <laughs> to Open to pictures. Find hit me up. So you have yeah, find Lily on Twitter. <laughs> so you have off the page <laughs> right, swearing. Yeah. Swear. <laughs> it's a fade to black swear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, Sarvanas, what what uh, you know? Again, you don't have to tell us specifically what you're working on, though we are welcome to. Uh, but what is the big challenge uh, for you right now in process? Well, similar to what Preeti was saying, I have found, because I, you know, I like to incorporate a lot of humor in my work. Like, that's what I like writing. I have found finding humor a little challenging in the last few years. <laughs> um, it's been a little rough. Uh, and the project I'm working on now is a middle grade. And I haven't written middle grade in a while. So I had to kind of find my voice there. But also, not at my behest, Somehow it became a time travel middle grade, which like physics was not my strong suit. So I don't know why these people decided they need to time travel, but they did. And now I'm like trying to figure out time loops. And like someone's telling me, you know, back to the future, there's like a big plot hole. I'm like, is there? Right. I would just buy it. I'm like, yes, there's a TARDIS. Fine. Like, <laughs> there's a DeLorean. Great. Like, <laughs> so. That's been a real headache trying to figure out these timelines that are like going and like, I guess the butterfly effect. I don't know. I, I don't know. Can Ashton Kutcher come and fix this? Like, I didn't see that movie, but like, I'm just wondering I feel like if like, some like we do magic like self help book, I think, for authors who have to write characters smarter than them because I think it's right? deeply, deeply unfair. <laughs> yes. Uh, Ashton, if you're listening, it was just, yeah. Yeah, that movie me. was mostly about him, him solving time travel problems in novels and TV shows. <laughs> he was a consultant on right? Quantum Leap. That then, That's what yeah. I thought. It was like those those YouTube videos. Um, oh ben, my gosh. ben, what are what are the challenges oh, on? Oh my god! Uh, ben, <laughs> yes, I'll tell you the challenge. It's the it's it's the challenge of the Star Wars books writ large. Uh, in that, like, it's a whole book. Like, we come from a place where you write dialogue and sound effects, right? And in a book, you can write anything. There, it's like going from a, a, a two-string guitar to a million-string guitar. They're called pianos. Um, but you can... Uh, but this, I'm starting to write, like, the pitch for the next thing, and it's a novel. It doesn't get to be short stories again. And this one isn't Star Wars. There's no world. I have to make up everything. And there's limitless... <laughs> Choices. You you can you you can. Uh, there's too many. Uh, there's too many notes, and I haven't started it. Yet. <laughs> like it's daunting. It's cr there's too much. How do you start to narrow it down? How do you start to create that world for yourself? You you do what you're always telling me to do. You find the theme, you know, and you find what you know what what works for the story that you're telling. Not just here are all the opportunities uh, that present itself from the you know the the 
the pretty bubbles around the story. You know, it's there's a it's a monster. So am I going to am I going to find like part of the part of the process was uh, this book is uh, basically a home invasion story of the monster. Right. And and we've just written in our career two home invasion movies. And like, I'm sick of home invasion, but that's the one that the agent was like, no, this is this is this is the one pursue this. And I'm like, okay, well, how do I make it interesting to me? And came up with like a mythology and a whole other thing, like a whole other angle. Uh, it's, uh, you know, bring in a, buff, a former Buffy to come in and get killed by the monster right away. And so the, the kids are being led, they're normal kids being led by the ghost of a Buffy. She can't touch anything. She can't do anything. Uh, and I say all this freely because the agent was like, you don't need it. And she's right. You don't need it. You got the story. You got some kids in a monster and whatever their drama is in the monster thing, like it's enough. Uh, but it's still like, it still feels like so much. <laughs> You'll get uh, and also, and also, yeah, there's the, the, like, have I, have I read a ton of middle grade novels to like, sure. feel like I know the rules of it. So it's, it's a little bit immersing myself in that. Um, Which is like so, that homework is the fun part. And homework is the fun part, but you can keep doing it. Yes, that's true. Yeah. No one tells you to stop and get to work. That's right. I um, just got a deadline, which is what I need. Okay. Um, Halima, what are you working on right now? Uh, what is the biggest challenge you are facing? Let's see. I'm working on so many different things, but when I think about the one that's been coming with the challenge, I'm doing a... Uh, developments of developing out a show um and this one is uh the tricky part when you do development sometimes especially in the the kids spaces for an animated kids show is like you can have a concept but also sometimes there are mandates there are things of like oh we don't really have this can we work this ingredient in and this ingredient this ingredient and sometimes you have all these pieces and it's like I don't know if this is a beautiful mosaic or this is a kitchen sink. And I think this process of like in the midst of figuring out, of course, being honest and saying like, okay, I don't, I don't think all of these pieces are going to come <laughs> together. We kind of got to pick a, a star of the show, a, a star theme or a star world that kind of work cohesively. And I think it's like, doing again a bit of that I'm in the middle of that kind of Tetris of playing with different things like okay well if the character motivation is this then this world works for it okay well if we do this world well then maybe this theme serves that um the strongest and so um yeah I think it's balancing and figuring out the perfect ingredients and balance of ingredients to to make it really seeing like that perfect stories someone was talking about but that's not always easy you're saying perfect a lot but it's a, it's not going to be that and i feel like that's something i learned was like there's a million different great versions there's no one great version of a story like there's a bunch and i'm a, i'm my show knows like that i'm the queen of alts i love to do alternate versions of stuff and sometimes i'm like well which one is the right one it's not there's not one right one. They're all great. So just close your eyes, throw a dart and go with, go for them, prosper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to trust that, right? Um, well, you, you and Acker should yeah. get together and talk, <laughs> make decisions for each other. Um, <laughs> Crisscross. 
I want, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> a, a real strangers on a train. Um, I want to wrap up as we always do by asking you what you are putting into your brain these days. What are you watching? What are you reading? Uh, what stuff for young uh, viewers and readers do you want to recommend to folks that they may have missed? Um, and Lily, let's start with you. Um, okay. I, I read a lot of YA books for fun. Uh, like I, I learn from adult books, like nonfiction, and I read a lot of YA fiction. And recently I read a book called Grown by Tiffany D. Jackson, um, which was like, it was so amazing because it was this like uh, seat of your pants thriller that was just like, it like there were like it had the slow burn and then it hit this major twist in the middle and it was just twist 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 twi like it was amazing structurally and then on top of that it kind of threw this light like it had this deeper level of like the whole first half feels like a twilight romance but you know this girl is being like groomed and it just made me so it got under my skin like so much like it had such important things to say and then like it also came in and was everything I want from just like a thriller like twist 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 so like. I cannot praise it enough. I really, really just enjoyed Great. it. Great. It was a That's, blast. That sounds terrific. Great recommendation. Um, Sarvanaz, what are you reading? What are you watching uh, that you want to recommend, especially for young folks? Um, there's this middle grade series called Case Closed by Lauren Magaziner. And it's like a it's like a mix between Choose Your Own Adventure and Encyclopedia Brown. And you have to actually like solve puzzles to like get oh through the mystery. And they're so fun. And they're like they're like the best. Like I like if I was a kid, it would been like my favorite series. But like I love them so much as an adult, and I like recommend them to like all the kids I know who are like mm -hmm. want to solve puzzles and like you know read a mystery. But it has like all these like fun dead ends and like it's just that's really, really, really neat. Fun. I mean, you're doing uh, books as escape room. <laughs> that's really <laughs> fun. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what uh, it is. that's cool. Halima, what are you reading? Um, what are you watching? Anything you want to recommend? Admittedly, I feel like I'm behind in so much, but. Um, I feel like for I, I love checking out stuff and recommending stuff that feels like it's again like kid centered or young youth centered, but in such a way that they do such um, justice to that point of view, and it's in such a way that everybody feels excited about it. And so I'm excited to jump into Stranger Things. I I still have I about to jump into it, but I've enjoyed the series so far. And I feel like it's one of those that it's like anybody who's into the genre, of course, but like it's for everybody, not just, you know, kids who are watching up, but also adults who are yeah. following along too. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think you'll enjoy it. <laughs> um, ben, what do you want to recommend? I was going to say stranger things. This last season was really fun. Um, <laughs> Uh, also, in the like, in just reading a bunch of middle grade horror, I read a book called Dollbones by Holly Black that was really, um, just really sharp, really well done. Um, I don't know, it's it's uh, the the way that they execute the. I don't know the the. It's all in there. It's all like happening during the book. There's the characters feel lived in, but like uh, it was it it just felt like um, narratively. Uh, super smart, and I don't know. I'm not, uh, and and it was a it was a sharp, spooky, like uh, it was a good book. If you're if you're reading middle grade horror, you can do worse <laughs> than uh, Dollbones or Stranger Things. Uh, it had, uh, Dollbones season. had been recommended to me a couple times, uh, and it is on my list. I hear it is great. I will pick it up too. Um, Preeti, take us home. 
Well, I was I was going to do one book, but very quickly, Holly Black is the best, and the Folk of the Air series by Holly Black is one of my top, top, top reads. Oh, great. But what I was going to say is um, Megan Wellen-Turner's The Queen's Thief series, which is this, like, incredible series of books she wrote over the course of, like, 15 years. The last one came out in 2020, the first one in, like, 96 or 97. Wow. Uh, where she plays with, like historically influenced like sort of light fantasy mythology like unreliable narrators pov it's it's so good it's like a master class in writing and it's the characters are so beloved like i'm re-listening to it for like the thousandth time right now i could like live in these books they're so good oh that's great great recommendation we'll check them out um thank you all so much for being here uh folks should Look up everybody on this panel, pick up their old books, pick up their new books, pre-order their upcoming books. Uh, that is always very helpful to everyone. Um, and we'll post all that stuff on Twitter, too, so you can get it easily. I vouch for everyone here. I've read all their work, and I'm a thank fan. You. Um, thank you all so much. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Dog. Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.